Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Uh, many of y'all know that I grew up in a Roman Catholic church. Uh, for the first like 15 years of my life, uh, I went to a Roman Catholic church. And so those were my formative years of how I kind of began to see God and view God and how I thought God viewed me. And so I don't know what your formative years were with God in which you begin to be introduced to the God of the Bible or maybe the God of your own imagination, but mine very early on was kind of embedded into my mind and kind of created this anxiety in my heart that in order to please God, in order to be accepted by God, I needed to perform certain things in order to win his love, win his acceptance, win his smile. And so I began very early on at a young age, beginning to think, okay, I need to do certain rituals in order to have this relationship with God. That the predominant thing that God wanted in my life was to do certain things, to be a certain type of person, to be good. And if I was good, then he would love me. Then he would like me. And so for me, very early on, God seemed to me very powerful, but also very distant. He seemed loving, I think, but I didn't know if he actually loved me or liked me. And so God to me began to be like this swivel chair God in which when I would do good, he would be facing me. And so when I just kind of had this little system in my mind, this little list of what I was supposed to do in order to please this God, when I would do the do's and didn't do the don'ts, then he would be smiling at me. He would be encouraging me. He would be celebrating me, but he would be sitting there looking at me because I had kind of cleaned myself up and I could come to him and I could pray to him and I could spend time with him and in his word. And I just had this vision in my mind of this, but the reality of it was that put this burden on me to constantly perform every single day going, okay, I have to do in order for God to love me. And because of that, I began to be very self-focused of every single thing that I didn't do that I was supposed to do. And everything that I did that I wasn't supposed to do. And so God was on this swivel. And when I didn't do the do's and I did the don'ts, he would turn his back on me. And instead of doing what Hebrew says of coming to the throne of grace and finding help in our time of need, what I would do is I would kind of go away and I would try to clean my mess up, right? I would try to look a certain way, act a certain way. And then I would try to go, okay, how long has it been since I did that one sin that I feel like keeps me away from God? And then after days became weeks, sometimes weeks became months, then I would go, okay, I think I've, I think I've had enough good in me that I can kind of come back to God and hopefully he's now looking at me again. Hopefully he's smiling upon me again. Hopefully he's there for me again. And that was my relationship with God for the first two decades of my life. And so I don't know what it is for you, what those formative ideas about God in your mind, or maybe the present realities of what God feels like to you. Maybe he does feel like a swivel chair God in which when you do good, man, he's welcoming. But when you don't, man, he swivels. And maybe for you, it's not this slow swivel. Maybe it's multiple times throughout the day, man, you're just all over the place with your relationship with God. And so maybe it's swivel chair God. Maybe it's distant judging God in which you don't really have a strong relationship with him, 
but you just kind of constantly feel his eyes are upon you. And you kind of feel like, man, he's just waiting for you to mess up so that he can come down hard upon you. And so every time you do mess up, you're just kind of waiting for him to even the score. And you're looking for those things in which you're going, okay, I did something bad. He's gonna do something bad to me. Maybe it's distant judging God. Or maybe for you, it's like Santa Claus God, right? He's got a list. He's gonna check it twice. He's gonna see if you were naughty or nice. And if you've been nice, then man, good things will come to you, right? You, you, you begin to operate of going, man, okay, I got this job. I, I got this promotion. I got this raise. Things are going well in my life. Things are going swimmingly in my life. And so God must be pleased with me. Or the reverse. Man, I didn't get that job. I got overlooked in that promotion. Man, I, I don't know how I'm gonna make ends meet or man, I just got this diagnosis or I'm going through this hard season. God must be upset with me. And so what we end up doing in our relationship with God so often is falling into this trap to say, hey, I need to do certain things or respond in a certain way in order for God to come to me, to love me, to like me. And so we begin to think, oh, God wants a certain type of person. And so I'm gonna try to be that type of person. Or maybe God loves some future version of you that kind of has his or her act together a little bit more, right? Or maybe a past version of you before you did that sin, before you made the mistakes, before you fell into those little sin traps that so easily entangle us. And so what we are really good at is developing these little systems in our life to make ourselves feel like we're okay with God. Man, if I just read my Bible enough, if I just pray enough, if I just go to church enough, if I just go to all the different ministries enough, if I'm just a nice enough person, if I just haven't snapped at my kids today, then all of a sudden I'm good with God, myself and the world around me. And so we develop these little checklists and if we do the do's and don't do the don'ts, then we feel like, okay, I'm okay now. And we're daily walking under this exhaustion of I need to perform in order to be accepted. I need to accomplish to be loved. And each day we walk into this little courtroom and we bring our little systems and we bring our little checklists and we're always striving, but we never feel like we're arriving. And it feels like the finish line just kind of keeps moving out and out and out. And it's these systems that Jesus came to destroy, to break. Because any system that says, hey, I need to perform in order to be accepted by God is not from God. And Jesus is a declaration from God to us that God so loves us and desires a relationship with us that Jesus is the declaration that God desires, not ritual, but rather a relationship with him. That's who Jesus is. And that's how he is presented throughout the gospels and in the book of Hebrews. And as we're coming to the end in this section of Hebrews, this smaller section that we've been working through these last couple of weeks, we've been seeing that Jesus has kind of positioned himself and is this great high priest. And a high priest is someone that connects God with humanity. And he was able to do that because he was both God and human. So the full and final connection piece between humanity, broken, sinful humanity, and a holy and righteous God was Jesus Christ himself. And we've been in this little section in which we've talked about all these random benefits of that. And some of it can feel like we're kind of trudging through some complex parts of scripture because we are. <laughs> that this has been pretty dense. And yet over and over, we see that Jesus gives this better covenant, this better binding relationship between God and man, that he gives a better promise to us. 
that he's entered into the better sanctuary and pulling us into the heavenly sanctuary. And so what we're gonna do this morning as we've been kind of looking at all these different pieces of the mosaic, we're gonna pull back and we're gonna see the beauty of the entire picture. That the heart of God is that Jesus has entered into our world and for those that have believed in him into our lives and is declaring that he is the better relationship and he offers a better relationship. And it's because of this relationship that all these little systems that we have created have been destroyed. Anything that says I need to earn my way to God is no longer because something new has come. And so we're in Hebrews 10 verses one through 18 and what we're gonna see is these old rituals playing out and and what they were actually there for, which was actually very enlightening for me this week as I got to swim in Hebrews 10. But also we're gonna see this new relationship, this better relationship that God has enacted through the person of Jesus Christ. And in order to go from old to new, we have to see that something fundamentally changed in our world, but also the world. And so that's what we're gonna be looking at this morning, the old rituals and then something changed, something happened and this new relationship that God is now ushering in in the person of Jesus Christ. And so first up, we're gonna see old rituals. And the hope of our time as we look through this section and throughout the rest of the section is that we would see these little systems that we've created in our lives and we would put them at the feet of Jesus so that he can destroy them, so that we can walk in a new relationship with him. And so the first thing we are gonna look at is these old rituals. It says in verse one of Hebrews 10, it says, for since the law has been but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make those perfect who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to make, to take away sins. And so those are a lot of words and a lot of clauses. There's a lot of commas in here. I don't know if you noticed, there's like 15 commas. Uh, And so as you read this, it can feel even a little bit choppy, but as you read a passage of scripture, you're supposed to first ask, okay, what is it talking about, right? And what we see here is it's talking first and foremost about the law. And then you ask, okay, well, then what is it saying about what it's talking about? Well, it's saying that the law, the 613 commandments of our Old Testament had a function, but it had an insufficiency within that function. It says that the law can never make perfect those who draw near. And so it's talking about how the law, these 613 rules of the Old Testament, these instructions that God gave humanity, that though it was good, and we'll see it in a little bit that it was meant to be a mirror to us, but also a guiding point to point us to Christ, it was fundamentally insufficient that the law can never make perfect those who draw near. And then it's also talking about these sacrifices, that a part of the law was all these different sacrifices, these daily rituals and these monthly rituals and these yearly rituals that you had to do to make sure that you were okay with God. And what it's saying there is that these sacrifices were actually there to remind us that we are still in our sin. And so if you pull back, you go, what is this all talking about? It's simply saying that these old rituals were there as a reminder that one, you are not perfect. And two, you are still in your sins. And isn't that what these little systems create in us? 
these little systems that we create to make sure that we're good enough or on the right track or have checked all the lists. When we really explore those things and kind of build our lives around these little systems, all they're there to do is to show us that we're not perfect and that we're still in our sins. Like if you try to be a perfect mom, a perfect dad, a perfect roommate, a perfect Christian, a perfect employee, a perfect employer, what does that actually end up doing to you? It shows you just how broken you really are. And that no matter what you do and no matter how hard you try and how much you white knuckle it, man, you can never achieve this ideal version of what you have even in your own head. And so these systems were there to create this earnestness and this longing in us for something more. And so some of us, man, we try to perform and it only makes us more exhausted, doesn't it? Or some of us, we try to white knuckle our sin away and all that does is create a greater anxiety in us in every single moment. We just feel like we're walking around landmines, but then all of a sudden when we do succumb to sin, the shame and guilt kind of floods into our mind and floods into our heart the moment we mess up. Or maybe for you, you just try to control everything in your life. And what that does in you is creates in you a fear that what's gonna happen when something comes into my world that I can't control. Or maybe for you, you've just built these systems in your life. And these systems that were supposed to serve you have become a burden to you. And the more judgment you put on yourself and then you exchange that to other people because other people aren't living up to the system you created. Other people aren't reading their Bible enough. Other people aren't praying enough. Other people aren't doing what you believe is right before yourself and before God. And so there's a burden that comes with this. And when we get to the end of ourselves and we begin to see these little systems crumbling, we'll see this, that we're not perfect. And in fact, we're still in our, these little sins. And so maybe what these systems were there to do, according to our passage, was to create a longing in us, an earnestness in us for something different, for something better, for something more. It's interesting, Martin Luther, <clears throat> one of the heroes of the faith, one of the uh, founders and predominant person that God used in the great reformation before he came to Christ, he struggled for years trying to earn God's approval. And so he grew up in a system that kind of just said, hey, in order to be right before God, you gotta go clean yourself up. And one of the ways you do that is just through continual confession of sin. You gotta absolve yourself before God. You gotta do what's called do penance before God. You kind of just have to beat yourself up so that God knows, hey, Martin gets it, all right? And then I don't have to smite him, you know? And so Luther, for years, what he would do in this system is he would go in a monastery and he would go and confess his sins for three hours every single day. That's a lot. So much so that the priests that were in that system all of a sudden would see Luther coming and go, oh gosh, it's Martin again. I'm gonna go get lunch. Like just try to avoid the guy. And all of a sudden he was in a meeting one time with one of these priests and they were going, Martin, like, what do you want? You come every single day and you're confessing for three straight hours of a sin that you might have, could have maybe committed. What do you want? And he cried out, I want a merciful God. 
He had so missed the heart of God because he had built his life around these little systems to make himself feel okay, but those systems were never there to make you feel okay. They were there to create a longing in you for the objective reality that is God, who is merciful. And my fear for many of us is we have so created these systems that in many ways we're blinded to that we begin to doubt the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the love of God. Oh, we feel like we've done enough, said enough, confessed enough to win something from God that our heart actually desperately needs and longs for, and God is giving it to us freely in Christ Jesus. That's what grace is. That's what grace is. Grace is not something you earn. It's literally unmerited favor. I'm gonna shower my favor on you though you don't even deserve it. And so I had a friend of mine who years back confessed a sin of pornography addiction. And in that moment, he just, he shared and he was being authentic, but he did what a lot of us do. One of the things that I did for years, he shared, hey, I'm, I fell short here. Man, I looked at this, but... But man, let me tell you what I'm gonna do now. Man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put some blockers up and I'm gonna make sure my phone's away at certain times. And I'm gonna delete certain apps and I'm gonna have these little systems in place because I'm never gonna do it again. Because in his heart, he goes, I don't wanna do it again. I don't. But what he was reverting to was a system to guard himself that he might not sin. You ever been there? And so we started chatting and I just go, hey man, Man, I think at this moment in your journey, man, you don't have power over the sin. This sin has power over you. And so I think there is some wisdom to delete those apps. I think there is some wisdom to put some blockers on your phone. I think there is some wisdom to make sure that you have strong accountability in your life. But let me ask you a question, a much more important question than what you're gonna go off and do now to make sure that you don't ever sin again. I asked him, I go, hey, in that moment when you sin, what do you think God thinks of you? And he started thinking. He started tearing up. And he said, I think God thinks I'm a failure. And isn't that so true of all of us? But when we sin and fall short of the glory of God, we just begin to think, man, turned his back on me. So yeah, I gotta go and get those systems back up and running to make sure I'm okay with them. And so I don't know what it is for you when, when you're in that low moment, when you've sinned again, and that same sin again. I don't know what you feel like in those moments. Maybe it is, man, I feel like a failure. Maybe for you it's, man, God hates me. God's frustrated with me. God's annoyed with me again. Come on, man. Maybe you feel that way, but that's not the God of our Bible. That's not the God of scriptures. That Jesus says that while you were still sinners, God the Father said, I have sent my son for you because I love you. Not when you cleaned your mess up, 
Not when you started looking a certain way, acting a certain way, being a certain way. And so many of us, we come to Christ so lowly because we understand, man, I'm broken in my sin. But then we start walking with Christ and all of a sudden we're going, okay, now I got this. Now I figured it out. Now I've done what I need to do. And then all of a sudden we, we stumble, we fall, and then all of a sudden we revert back to these old systems. In order to make sure that we're okay with God. You know what God communicates to us through his word in that very moment of your sin? I love you. Even in the midst of your sin, my love for you has not changed. And yes, to be clear, I want you to flee those youthful lusts and I want you to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord with a pure heart, but not to win my approval, not to make sure you stay on my team, but rather because there's no life in there. There's no joy in there. There's no peace in there. It's only found in me. So I don't want you to drift away. I want you to draw near because there's life that's found in me. And I want you to experience life and life abundantly in me. And so yes, confess your sins to one another. Yes, bring those to the light, but don't do that to try to manipulate me to love you. You do that because I already love you. And if you've ever doubted that, you looked at Jesus on the cross that God demonstrates present tense, his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. That is the present reality of God's love for us. And so what if, what if those systems that we create, that performance that we run to, what if that anxiety we feel in our hearts or that guilt and shame when we fall short, what if those were actually there? to create a longing in us for something more, for something better. That's what this passage is saying, that the Old Testament system was never meant to make us perfect, but simply to remind us we're still in our sins. Verse one says it this way, that the law has but a shadow of the good things to come that the law was there, according to Romans, to be this mirror to us, never meant to save us. And as Galatians 3 says, it was meant to be a tutor, someone that would guide us to Christ. And as this passage says here, it was a shadow of something more, of something more beautiful. And so to illustrate that and what we've been talking about these last few weeks, the Old Testament was a canvas that God was painting this beautiful picture upon. And the Bible says that everything in the Old Testament was like this shadow. And in order to have a shadow, you need three components. You need a canvas, you need a light source, but you need something in between the light and the canvas. And we're told throughout scripture that everything in the Old Testament was the shadow, but there was something coming a substance, that as God was pouring his light upon humanity, he also was pouring a promise on humanity. And at first it was vague. It was hard to really understand, but it was still a shadow of something that was real. And so we've talked these last couple of weeks about all these random things, right? The temple and the covenant and the sacrificial system. What are those? They're shadows. And as the Old Testament progressed, we saw the shadow of a temple. 
this meeting place between God and humanity. And they're saying, yeah, but that's just a shadow. There's something better coming. And then we saw the reality of a covenant. What's well, a covenant? It's a binding relationship between God and humanity. And they're saying, hey, there's something better coming. We saw the law, the sacrificial system. And the closer we got to the coming of Jesus, the more clear the shadow became. But when Jesus came, the shadow goes away when the substance arrives. And that's what we've been looking at these last several weeks in Hebrews. And that's what the entire Old Testament was about. All of these shadows, because there was something coming. The hand of God reaching down to humanity and that hand of God had a name. It was Jesus Christ. That something has fundamentally changed when he walked on the scene. And that's what we're gonna look at next. That there was these old rituals and yet in the old rituals, a new relationship was promised because something changed, something changed. And that's what we're gonna look at next. Verse five says it this way. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, when the substance arrived, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, he said, but a body you have prepared before me in burnt offerings and in sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written for me in the scroll of the book. So if you've known your Old Testament and read your Old Testament, this is a direct quote from Psalm 40. And so if you know your Old Testament, this is a weird quote. Because it just said, hey God, you don't desire offerings. Hey God, you don't desire sin offerings. Where I've read the Old Testament. There's an entire book of the Old Testament called Leviticus that solely says God desires of us offerings and sin offerings and things like that. And so you're probably reading this going, okay, that's weird, that feels contradictory. And so what's going on here? Well, simply put, rituals before God mean nothing. If you are not in relationship with God, that all those rituals of the Old Testament we're not meant to win God's approval, but rather was to be a response to the reality that I know I'm loved, I know I'm cared for, so I'm gonna bring before my God and my King the thing he asked for. So yes, I'm gonna do these rituals, but they're rooted in a relationship first. And when the relationship isn't there, the rituals mean nothing. And it's still true for us. You can read your Bible you can pray, you can go to church, you can be nice to people, all good things. But if they're not rooted in a relationship, they mean nothing to God. They mean nothing to God. And that's true of any relationship. Like if you just go throughout your life and you just try to do things that are obligations for you to do in relationships, like that doesn't mean anything to the person receiving it, right? So like last week was Valentine's Day. And I don't wanna create any conflict in here um, in case somebody missed the mark in all of this, there's grace, right? Um, but let's just say, wives, on Valentine's Day, your husband came home and he had this beautiful bouquet of flowers and he walked in and you start to see the flowers, you see him and he walks up to you and he gives you those flowers and you start to tear up and you go, man, why did you give me these flowers? And he says, well, it's Valentine's Day and I'm obligated to. So here you go. I'm gonna go watch TV now. I've, 
I've done my part. I've done my part. Why are you crying? I don't get it. Okay, okay. Now, imagine, same scenario plays out. Husband comes home, has flowers, walks in, and you say the same thing. Man, why give me these flowers? And he says, baby, I don't care what day it is. I'm giving these to you as just a small token of what I feel about you, that you're beautiful like these flowers, that you're soft like the petals, but you are strong like the thorns, and I know that's cheesy. (laughs) But baby, just like these flowers, you make any room better. How's that gonna go? (laughs) A lot better. Same thing, man buy flowers. Man, give flowers to wife. Two very different responses. Based on what? Based on the heart of why it's given. And that's true of every relationship and it's true of God. And so what's God looking for then? He tells us in verse seven. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written for me in the scroll of the book. What God is looking for is not just someone to approach them with their little systems and their checklists and obligations, but rather someone to draw near to him out of a deep love for him, but then to move out into the world and to do his will that he truly desires of us so that we might find life and life abundantly in him as we bring glory to his name. And here's the truth. Here's the bad news. None of us have done that. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have tried to earn God's approval through these little rituals and these little systems, or we've run away from God in our own rebellion. All of us have done that. And yet the good news is that this passage is not about you. It's about Jesus. When Jesus came, he was asked, hey, what are you doing? Like, what's your life all about? And you know what he said? He quoted the idea of the Psalm right here in John chapter six, verse 38. He goes, you know what I'm here to do? I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That as Jesus moved throughout his life, he had this deep abiding relationship with God the Father. And because of that deep relationship, he moved out into the entire world and he loved people in his name. And he did the will of God, not out of obligation to God, but rather because of that deep relationship we had with God. And he said, hey, I'm not gonna go and give some sacrifice on the altar. I'm gonna be the living sacrifice in this life. And then I'm gonna put my life up on that cross to be the ultimate sacrifice for sin because that's the will of God. And so Jesus so much followed the will of God in the good times, but also the most tricky and hard and difficult times in his life that the very night before he would be crucified, he said in prayer, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. But nevertheless, not by my will, would your will be done. Jesus was so obedient to the Father's will, he would do so even if it cost him his own life. He didn't go and offer some sacrifice. He would become the sacrifice before God on behalf of humanity. And yet as he died, he didn't stay dead. And the good news is that it was the will of God both to lead Jesus to the cross, 
but also to raise him to life. And three days later, because something fundamentally changed, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the declaration that God so loves us that he sent his son for us, the declaration that God doesn't desire rituals, but relationship, that because of all of that, something fundamentally changed and what we now have is a new relationship forged with God through the person of Jesus Christ. No more checklists, no more rituals, just a relationship. And so the verse continues by saying, by unpacking what was just said. It says, when he said, above you have neither desire nor take pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law, this old ritual, this old system. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He's just unpacking what was just said. And then he says this, he does away with the first in order to establish the second that when Jesus came, he has done away with these old systems, these old rituals, these old ways of approaching God. And he has taken its place the same way that the substance takes the place of the shadow. And it says he did this once and for all, one single sacrifice to be the end all be all of every sacrifice, one offering to be the end all be all of every offering. For by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You know, every priest, they stand daily in, at the service. They're offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. The rituals are done because the relationship has come. Jesus has broken any ritual that we have or we can come up with because he has stepped into that to destroy it, to usher in a new relationship. And the rest of our passage is going to focus in on that relationship. And what's fascinating is the very first thing it's gonna focus in on is the supremacy of Jesus Christ. How sovereign he is, how strong he is. Why do that? Because when you see Jesus for who he really is, when your eyes are lifted up to see him, these systems that we create can feel so big at times, can't they? They can feel overwhelming at times. We can feel like we're a slave to them. But the first thing he does, he goes, no, no, no. I want you to look up and I want you to see the one who sits supreme over everything. And when you do that, all of a sudden, these other little systems will feel very small. And so the first thing he focuses is on is the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those that are being sanctified. What we see in here is the reality that Jesus sits supreme over all of creation the entire universe. We talked about this a few weeks ago that when Jesus sat down specifically at the right hand of God the Father, that is the position of authority. And so Jesus is sitting down in the authoritative position over the entire created world. And he sits so supreme that even his enemies will bow one day so low before him that he will kick up his feet upon him. That is the supremacy of our Jesus. 
He's supreme over the world. He's supreme over his enemies. But then notice, he's supreme and sovereign over us. That he has perfected for all time those that are being sanctified. That word perfected right there is in the past tense. That what Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection so fully covers our sin that it goes all the way back to all those faithful in the Old Testament, but then moves all the way forward to every faithful Christian that would place their trust and hope in him. That he has perfected us so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, but he sees his son. He sees his daughter in perfect standing before him. But did you notice, not only is he perfecting us so that we can just kind of go and sin and do whatever we want? No, he's perfecting us, why? So that we can walk in a sanctified life. He's perfected us as we are being made perfect. As those old sins and those old systems begin to wear off of us because we are following after our Jesus with everything in us. There's a supremacy of Christ over all things. And yet, in this supremacy, there's also a deep intimacy. Verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declare this to the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their hands and on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. This is the second time our pastor has quoted Jeremiah 31 in this small little section. And in the small little section, what we see is repetition is meant to kind of catch our eye and catch our ears and go, man, he's quoting this again. Why? Because he wants to be very clear that the heart of God as he sits supreme over everything is for his people to have an intimate relationship with him. That he wouldn't simply write the law on some tablets, but write it on our hearts. That he wouldn't simply have these daily sacrifices and these systems put in place, but Jesus would offer himself as the final sacrifice so that he would remember our sins and our lawless deeds no more. There is a deep supremacy but there's also a wonderful intimacy that's offered. It's a new relationship. It's a better relationship. And when we begin to see this, we will begin to see that where there is forgiveness of sins, forgiveness of all these things, there's no longer any offering for sin. There's no longer any system we can do to make God love us more or make him love us less. That's done away. The old is cast away, the new has come. In Christ, you are so completely forgiven that the only attitude that God has towards you is mercy, mercy, mercy. And so come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest because I've broken these systems and my arms are wide open to receive anyone that not by a system, but by faith would approach me in grace and in love. And when you find yourself in those systems, trapped by the anxiety, trapped by the guilt, trapped by the condemnation, those are there to create a longing for something so much more, something so much more beautiful. And so the question I wanna end us with is what system does God need to destroy in your life 
so that you can walk in the life that God has for you. Back in college, um, I'd been walking more and more with Jesus, um, but I still would revert back to these old systems, these old ways. And there's this season of my life in which, man, I just began to drift. And in that drifting, man, I just ran back to old sin patterns. And because I ran back to old sin patterns, I ran back to old system of trying to clean myself up back to God. God looked to me like he was once again on his swivel chair with his back to me. And so in this moment, as I can tell everyone who's on their phone, (coughs) saw a lot of lights go off after I said that one. But in this moment, I remember it was a Sunday and I didn't want to go to church because man, I had to go clean myself up, right? I didn't want to read my Bible. I didn't want to pray. I didn't want to do any of those things because I just felt so dirty before God and my systems had broke before me. And so what I did was I went on a walk and by God's grace, this system that I was under this my entire life that was so exhausting and so so burdensome, he chose on that walk to break it. Because I was on this walk and a verse that I had read earlier that week out of the book of Ephesians came to my mind. And it just simply said, hey, remember that you were once far away, but Christ brought you near. And that was the defining moment in my life in which I stopped running away from God to my systems the moment I sinned, but I started running towards God and I realized that this little swivel chair is locked in place because of Jesus Christ. That I can come to him and know him and find help and find grace and find mercy in my time of need when I was in need. And that was fundamentally different than any system I'd ever done before. And so I don't know what system you're under, what system you drift towards. Jesus has come to destroy those systems. I look at my life even today and I just kind of have this man, if I'm a good enough dad, if I'm a good enough husband, if I'm just good enough, good enough, good enough, and all of a sudden I just had to go, hey, that's a reminder of a longing for something so much more, something so much better. And so I can come to him. Jesus has entered into the story and has changed everything. And these little systems we have, he's come to destroy. And in that desolation. He invites us into something new, something better, a new intimacy, a new relationship, as we find these systems are so small and that Jesus is better. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.